It's Cash Color Campus, high level of conversation on live hiphopdaily.tv. And this is actually the last episode of our sixth season. Uh, as you know, we've been here since 2016. Shout out to my man Herb and Live Hip Hop Daily for having such hospitality to allow me to come in here every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock and have the higher level of conversation like we always have. Um, this episode is also our Cash Color Christmas episode. It's our end of the year. And we, act, we like to end the year right. You know what I mean? So this is actually our fourth one that we've done. And I got a shout out before we even get started. Shout out to my boy DJ Knotts for coming through with the dope set. Um, shout out to Ayana Lee for providing gift bags for everybody. Shout out to my, shout out to Best Dirty Lemonade over there in the corner. I know everybody done got them eliminated at this point. Carpe Diem Medible for the amazing chili they made. I think I got a birthday cake over there, too, and I'm going to get that later tonight. And Atlanta's clothing is in the corner, so if y'all trying to get a hoodie, get some merch tonight, definitely let me know. I got it over there in the corner for y'all. All right, so um, to end the year, I thought I'd touch on a topic that actually kind of hit me last week. You know, um, for those who don't know, I normally I normally base my show every week. I know, I know who's going to be on the podcast, like, weeks beforehand. Last week, though, all the way up to last week, I didn't have a guest at all. Like, I really was about to say, let's just have a party and call it a day. And then Jamal Bryant shakes, shakes the internet, right? <laughs> then Jamal Bryant shakes the internet. For those who don't know Jamal Bryant, he over there, he's the leader of the congregation of, um, what is it, um, oh my gosh, New Birth. New Birth. I almost called him New Hope. I think I'm back in Boston mode right now. Yeah, I'm back in Boston mode right now. Of New Birth, New Birth. Um, and my man was on a podcast recently, and he shook up everybody when he mentioned that, you know, he wants to see more brothers in church who smell like weed. And he also even he also trickled down the line of possibly think of the possibility of actually growing weed out there as a way to you know bring back money to the congregation, bring back money to the community. I thought it was a dope idea. I thought it was totally not feasible, but I thought it was a good idea. <laughs> but so I hit my boy Chris, and I said, you know, because my man Chris Brown, one of the amazing activists in the city, he knows everybody. So when I text him late night, and I said, bro, do you know anybody in the ministry who'd be down to have this type of conversation on this type of show? And he said, I got the perfect person for you. And that's my man, Ronald Allen, today. Ronald Allen, minister, educator, um, activist. You are here today to, to represent the ministry and have this conversation with me about the black church's troubled relationship we have with cannabis. It's about time. It's about time, man. So without yeah. further ado, Ronald, thank you very much for coming on the show tonight. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. No problem, man. So um, I know this is absolutely your first time being in the studio, being, yeah. in, the, being in the crowd. Nobody knows who you are. Right. So before we get into this, just please formally introduce yourself and let us know of, um, all the many things that you do. Absolutely. Uh, hey everybody, Ronald Allen, local boy, uh, straight out of Thomasville Zone 3, greater baby. So Atlanta, born and bred. I'm fifth generation, Church of God in Christ. My great-grandfather, uh, Elmis Talley, was a member of the founding Church of God in Christ Church here in the state of Georgia. Um, I'm a fifth-generation minister, fourth-generation teacher. I teach eighth-grade social studies. Uh, at KVA, Kilt Visions Academy on the southeast side. 30315 got something to say, ATL. Ooh, Atlanta people be so proud. <laughs> <laughs> Atlanta folks be proud to yell they from Atlanta. Um, but uh, most of my ministry deals with connecting the church to frontline communities. I've worked with the Georgia Poor People's Campaign. That's where I met Chris Brown. Uh, I've worked with the Concerned Black Clergy, and I've studied uh, both at uh, the Inter- Denominational Theological Center, and at Candler School of Theology at Emory University. So I'm really tying the ministry back to its original foundation, which is empowering communities through self-determination. And that's what Reverend Bryant hit on that I think is shaking everybody up because self-determination 
has been removed from the faith message mm. and he brought it right back. And we need to talk about why that's important right now. And we're going to get into that self-determination, just Jamal Bryant's uh, overall comments and all that. But um, before we get started, you know, I, I normally ask people about their first time consuming cannabis, but this actually, I want to know about your first time when you knew the ministry is for you, because that's not something people generally just jump into on a whim. Absolutely. And I <laughs> ran from it for yeah. about 20 years. I mean, growing up, uh, in Atlanta, who wants to go around saying I want to be a minister? And the young people who do, many times you can get kind of jeered at. I know it was my way of casting the ministry aside. Uh, but I first preached when I was seven years old. And hearing the response uh, from the audience and making a connection uh, through a spiritual understanding, I, I fell in love with that aspect of what it means to be a minister, particularly in the black church. Mm -hmm particularly in churches where our communities and families attend. And that's why it's important for our churches to be places where we can have socioeconomic solutions for our problems. Uh, I think we need to have that type of base. So I fell in love with it at seven. Um, I was ordained last November. And so we'll We'll keep moving in God's uh, good order. Now you and and you have man, and you you touched on something. I mean, we might as well get into it so we can get back to the to yeah. the party that we were just having. Yeah. But um, socioeconomic issues, um, everything from you know, all, all that can be solved in some ways. Right. Through this plan. Right. We know this for a fact. Like whether right. you're talking about medical purposes, or you're talking about money purposes, it could all be solved through this plan. Now we've always known, at least I've always known, being part of a black church myself, is that the black church doesn't really look 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 too kindly when it comes to cannabis, cannabis yeah. consumption, whether or right. not they it's all drugs to you. Like my mama right. still have this conversation. She knows about the show, she'll watch, and right. she'll still say to me, Stop doing drugs. Right. You know what I mean? So right. so what do you why do you feel like the black churches has such a complex relationship with the plant? I think the black church is a microcosm of American religion in general. There is a great conflation or equating spiritual belief with the U.S. legal code. Mm. I do question if marijuana was a legal substance with this, would, would the moral judgment continue to accompany it? Mm. And what I do believe practitioners and followers of Jesus Christ or other uh, deities, uh, whoever you prescribe to, are they limited by the understandings of your government at the time? We claim our creator created this universe, created the matter that makes us who we are, but yet we define the power of that creator to a legal code that's often constructed by communities that are designed to exploit us politically, yeah. economically, socially, and physically. Yes. That is a duality that when you read scripture, the first barrier God tells his people is to divorce yourself from a system that exploits you. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of questions to ask ourselves as a community, you know, why we have tailored our spirituality to mirror the police, a serious do and don't list. And then we largely judge ourselves for people who 
are in violation. You speaking about a marriage that goes back to slavery. Yes. <laughs> you know, if, if, if we right. want to be bold about the conversation, that's a parent that's been going along since we were in chains, well, right. since our ancestors were in chains. And it's still going on to this day because I've had this conversation with white pastors who openly supported cannabis. They had no problem speaking about it, no problem speaking to their congregation. Right. But on the flip side, even somebody like Pastor Warnock, as prominent as he is, I would love for him to come out and actually make a stance about whether or not decriminal state, decriminal city, speak about what's actually going on in front of your community that you know for a fact is happening. Another challenge I want to put in addition to that, because I want to come back to that, but for people who are side-eyeing cannabis as a legitimate inroads for black churches to have a tangible impact on communities and bring in marginalized population, Jamal Bryant named, Reverend Bryant named black men who have been so divorced from the church. When you bring black men in, you're also going to bring black youth. You're also going to bring black women. You're also going to create reconciliation for those people who want to take a legitimate and more and more legalized substance and capital base out from the black church's control. What is your alternative? Are you just going to continue to demonize legitimate solutions for us to broaden our status as a community so that we can continue a black and white mythology of a faith system that mirrors our enslavement? At some point, we have to discontinue that. And with organizations in Georgia that are moving with the uh, speed of legislatures throughout the nation and here in Georgia with legalized marijuana, uh, low THC amounts are now statewide. We have to, as a faith community, be ahead of the curve. And still we are in a reactive mode and we have to justify why this is a viable topic. I think we need to move past that yeah. discussion very quickly. Yeah, but some of that involves generational issues. You know, um, um, we still have an older, we still have a, a large group that's older yeah. in most black churches, and that's most black, and, and most like the, most of those older people will hold on to a, a belief that this plant is simply a drug. Period. You right. know what I mean? Any drug that's in our community is a negative. Right. So at one point, you got to have to also start thinking about that. How are you going to get a more younger base into a church to start having those kind of conversations? Well, I think we've already started that. I think you know, uh, Reverend Bryant headlining that conversation. And he was so appropriate to scale his outreach program to the size and reach of his ministry. He mentioned being the largest black land owning yeah. church. And for churches that have a different size and a different reach, I think your obligation is to scale your outreach to your capacity. If you do that, Mecca, you will attract older people to the church. You will attract younger people to the church. I've yet to see a black church like Abyssinian Baptist Church pastored by Reverend Adam Clayton Powell Sr. and Jr. that met the needs of the New York black community and it did not draw the entire sectors of our community there mm -hmm. to fellowship. When you look at the growth of new birth, when you look at the formation of the first churches in Georgia, first African church in Savannah, Georgia, they built their own building, raised their own funds, created independence from the white churches that segregated them out of worship. That's the history 
of black worship in this country by using our hands, ingenuity, and God-given talents to create our own independence. That has been so central to the black faith message. And so for any minister who offers pushback to marijuana as an incentive for the church to take its central role, I, I do demand that you have an alternative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. And I think that also one of the things we need to do is start is start um, pushing for conversation a lot more. Like Absolutely. You, like you mentioned, in New York, you'll actually have conversations within churches who are who are having these type of conversations. They'll right. have panels. They'll have kind of this, those type right. of deals. You're not seeing that here in Georgia. And I think, right. again, when you start looking at the fact that how far behind we are when it comes to even even education about the plan, right. a lot of that starts right from there. Right. Well, when you have a faith system that's going to be punitive, that's a large aspect of black spirituality that I would like to see us address lovingly concepts of hell, eternal damnation, uh, hypocrisy, and the way we punish people who make moral missteps, isolation, being rejected from friends and family, and refusing to take the opportunity to teach. What does the African proverb say? When you slip or fall, don't pay attention to where you fall, pay attention to where you slip. Pay attention to where the mistake was yeah. and, and turn that into the teaching moment. Yeah. But when we're going to condemn and call that then righteousness, it's going to put us in a position in which we will never have these conversations. Yeah, you know, and there's also the, the, there's a general fear when it comes to, con- when it comes to black church, especially right. when it comes to how um, funds are appropriated. Right. And I had a conversation this morning with my, with my barber about the show that we was having today. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, I think it's a good idea. I just don't want to see weed going to Bentleys. I want to see weed going to the, to, to the community. Right. I think that's a real fear. That when you start talking about congregations and churches that are already tax free, right. getting into a business that is making millions of dollars and most likely you're not going to have to pay taxes on, people are going to start asking them questions about where that money going. Well, I think when you analyze again the appropriate model that Reverend Bryant spoke of, he spoke in the context of group economics. Yes. When you attract black men as the group he wanted to, but as a teacher, and a 20-year educator, I would love to see in a cash crop industry young people be brought in for summer employment, Mm -hmm. after-school employment, entrepreneurism. Most young people attend churches for a good two decades before they are released out into the world. That is a solid 20 years in which we have young people as a captive audience that it is our obligation to provide them em- employment. It is our obligation as their elders to provide them with the employable skills to make sure that they're homeowners, mm-hmm. business owners, to make sure they have the skills and the uh, aptitudes required for marriage. Most wealth in America is inherited wealth, Mecca. That means we must be able, and people who have wealth in this country, track it generationally and institutionally. That's why we have the income deficits and the wealth dynamics in which the average white family has 10 times the wealth of black families. Black families many times for American-born African-Americans and American blacks are tracing lineage to landless, 
enslaved laborers that were given zero reparations at the point of emancipation. And then at the a hundred years later from that, we integrated and a lot of the black owned businesses, when the black dollar would bounce in our community, mm-hmm. began to be dispersed into a mainstream community that refused to reciprocate to the businesses we had established. That's still this happening. This is fact. That's still happening. And it's still happening. Yeah, that's still happening. Yeah. It's happening in property in mm-hmm. Atlanta, in redistricting, redist- and gerrymandering politically, gentrification residentially. Curriculum still being taught in our schools that disenfranchise our young people, creating a school-to-prison pipeline. When we talk about the, the lack of feasibility for marijuana, but it is feasible for our schools to condition young people to be ready for prison, that's more feasible mm-hmm. than churches saying we're going to convert our empty lots into agriculture We're going to provide internships for young people. We're going to provide a a base that we can provide low-interest loans for home ownership to our congregants. This is a staple of black churches. Doing Morehouse and Spelman were founded by the investments of Friendship Baptist Church. People, we ain't, let's stop acting like we're talking about something new. We're talking about going back and fetching what our ancestors did with their own hands, was Mm. till this land Mm. and create this country. Booker T. Washington built Tuskegee and enforced and instilled in his students the pride of building your own institution. Yes. So what what new are we talking about here, actually? Yeah, nothing new, nothing new. But like you said, there's so much has been already tied in from from religion and what you believe in to the, the to the law, indeed to the law, and it's and it's, it is way too tied in at this moment. And right. then I feel like the only way we are going to have to break that cycle is start with conversations similar to this. Indeed. But you got to start having those conversations down there inside those churches right. and and start being more welcoming to having people who um who don't believe or who aren't there yet. Having those type of people come into this conversation right. because it's almost like how I say with politics, you'll go into a cycle where the urban league will start talking to the junior urban league, will start talking to the senior urban league, will start talking to the urban league who's about to be the urban league, and that's their engagement. You never one time go outside the circle, and I think that's the biggest problem you having with the black church right now too. There's having such a struggle going outside the circle in order to bring in what they feel like is which is what your actual duty is in the Bible. Indeed. You're not going outside and bringing in new people. What you're doing is making sure the people you have don't leave. I will always give Reverend Bryant credit for his all-encompassing stance here yes. because he mentioned by name, I am looking to avoid these recycled church folks. These folks who I'm just trying to get. And that's them. who he's offended. And that's who he's <laughs> and that's who you're But offended. that's unfortunately yeah. in many ways the black power structure. When our power structure mimics the power structure built on our exploitation, we have to understand that we just recreate the master's house. Now, when we start talking about doing something new, that's why Harriet Tubman had to carry the pistol, bro. <laughs> because when you introduce something new to condition people 
folks are naturally gonna want to turn back. That was Moses's issue. Yeah, coming out the coming out of Egypt, man, we were better as slaves. So that <laughs> is the call to action for everyone under the sound of our voice. Yeah. Will you submit to the demands of self-determination or are you looking to be politically expedient? Because that's the one thing Jesus Christ never was, was politically expedient. So what do you think at the end of the day is going to take for churches, especially black churches in general, to come together and not just support cannabis among parishioners, but for citizens overall in this state? Mecca, I came back to the church because I I felt it was wrong for me to throw away the organization that's my birthright. Yeah. And it's a call to action for everyone under the sound of our voices. Everybody in this room know a church-going black person. Everybody. Go to their church. You have a great power as a visitor, as an outsider, to raise some questions in Bible study and expand the conversation. And force these pastors for a moment to have a real conversations with their parishioners and, and, and help the church. And I want to do something different than just also put the onus on us and people here to go out and try to change the world. There needs to be pressure put on the clergy yes. by parishioners. Mm-hmm. To say, am I getting my needs met by this church? If my church demands 10% of my income and my worth, what do I get in return? Do I get after-school programs for my young people? Do I get retirement programs for my elderly parents? What What is what is coming back from that? And if, if you are dissatisfied with the answer, then let's start finding some common solutions together with pastors and other religious leaders who got their ducks in a row. Ronald, man, look, normally this conversation is an hour, and I can't keep it an hour tonight because we got plenty of people in here. And I want you to definitely have a chance to speak with some of these people in the, uh, in the audience. Again, we, it's, about out, it's about bringing in, not, not pushing out no right. more. So, um, but I want to thank you so much for your time. Please let people know a little bit more about you if they want to help support some of the act- activism that you do, if they want to support the ministry, how can they help you? Absolutely. Uh, for the last two years, I've put on an annual Exodus conference. You can go on Instagram and find it under Exodus Now. Um, we continue to discuss relevant topics related uh, to what it means to be black and Christian. Uh, that is the center element of the exodus uh, because I do believe that my mission and faith journey is to help our people exodus from both colonization and poverty. Uh, Also, uh, I would encourage everyone begin volunteering in your local public schools when you can. As uh, an eighth grade social studies teacher, we need to see members of of our community creatively in the classroom. So create an opportunity for you to be engaged and build a new relationship with what's already in your community right now. Sir. (laughs) That was that conversation. Absolutely, I thank you so much for coming through. Um, I want everybody to please make time to have a conversation with Ronald while while you're here in between everything else that you're doing. And um, it's Cash Color Christmas. I would love to thank everybody for coming out tonight. It's been our sixth year. We've been here for six years. We're going to keep going. Herb, you ain't kicking me out, right? All right, cool. Yeah, we're going to keep going. <laughs> we're going to keep going for another six years. Hey, hold on, hold on.
we're going to keep going for another six years after that. And please watch us as we move forward with everything else that we are doing. I know I actually, I accidentally told my boy, um, told one of my homeboys that I'm working on a magazine that's about to drop in January. So you will see the first copies when we do come back to the, to come back to the studio and come back live. But there's a lot working, man. And I'm going to need these next four weeks off because my year has been a lot. Y'all have been with me through um, death. Y'all have been with me through loss. Y'all have been with me through change. And when I can say this, so I can't say this without being totally honest. Y'all have been my therapy <laughs> through through so much. So, but I'm gonna take four weeks off and go kick it because I need other therapy. I thank y'all for coming through tonight. Let's li light up some. I don't want to say that too much in front of my boy. Man, light <laughs> it up. Light it up. <laughs> light up. Light some in the name. And enjoy the, and enjoy the, and enjoy the night. It's Cash Color Campus, a high level of conversation from Live Hip Hop Daily Studios. We out. Yeah.